0: want to give love to the city, that's a fact. But
1: you're gonna need help if you want to make an impact. Well endowed, you want to be well endowed with the Edmonton community.
2: Things really happen when you find that you're well endowed.
0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Well Endowed podcast. I'm Andrew Paul.
3: And
2: I'm Elizabeth Bonkink. This podcast is brought to you by Edmonton Community Foundation, and we are a proud affiliate member of the Alberta Podcast Network.
0: Edmonton is full of generous donors who have created endowment funds at ECF. These funds generate money to support charities in Edmonton and beyond.
2: On this podcast, we share stories about how these funds help strengthen our community because it's good to be well endowed.
0: On this episode, Julian Fade is back for part four of Trailheads, a history of urban planning in Edmonton.
2: In part four, Julian explores the history, present, and future of public transit in Edmonton.
0: In the first half of this episode, we'll hear from Dr. Emily Grize, an assistant professor at the University of Alberta and the School of Urban and Regional Planning. Dr. Grize will shine some light on public transit through the lens of the economy and how good public transit is key to building a world-class city.
2: In the second half of the episode, Julian is joined by Danica McConnell and Carter Groza from Free Transit Edmonton. Danica and Carter will shift the conversation about public transit from economy to human rights. We look at the issue of fare evasion, fines, and why public transit is at the heart of solving many societal issues faced by people in Edmonton.
0: We hope you enjoy this episode. Take it
3: away, Julian. In the last episode of Trailheads, we looked at media portrayals of car culture. How the automotive industry coined the term jaywalker in a shame campaign to usurp pedestrians' right-of-way on streets. And how advertisements bill the personal vehicle as a ticket to freedom. Happy people cruising at high speeds on empty roads living their best life. A life that, conveniently, forgets the reality of owning a car. Rock chips, rush hour, road rage, and photo radar tickets. By contrast, media portrayals of public transit are somewhat different. Think of the myriad of movie scenes that use the bus or train as an immediate signifier that a character is down on their luck. You know, those quintessential scenes where a downtrodden single mother lugs bulging grocery bags onto a crowded bus, or a starving artist leans his head against a rain-splattered bus window, contemplating the futility of his life as the blurry streetlights whiz by. The reality is much different. Tokyo, London, New York City are all known as the gold standard of world-class cities. The thing they have in common? Excellent public transit. These cities are built to get people to where they need to go. Public transit is an investment to ensure that all their residents can contribute to the economy and live their best lives. Good public transit ensures that they can get and keep jobs, access the gym and recreational facilities to support their physical health, and stay connected to a family and friends for their own mental health. The list goes on. Great cities have good public transit. And, interestingly enough, Edmonton was once a leader in public transit in North America. On this episode of Trailheads, we look at the history of public transit in Edmonton, why we fell behind, and what that means for the people who visit and call our city home. On the last episode of Trailheads, we discussed the car culture that has helped shape Edmonton into a city that depends on the automobile. But, contrary to what many Edmontonians may think, cars aren't the only way to get around. Public transit, be it buses or LRT, provide many people an opportunity to avoid sitting behind the wheel. Edmonton first had public transit way back in 1908, when the Edmonton Radial Railway Service was established. The 21 kilometers of track was there to serve the 19,000 Edmontonians who could ride the trains for a shiny nickel. They eventually added 47 new cars only six years later, as the population grew to 60,000 people. 1932 saw Edmonton get its first bus route, and by 1936, these buses had taken over for the trains, some of which had done over 1.5 million kilometers. In 1975, Edmonton became the first city with a population under 1 million in North America to have a light rail transit system, becoming a leader in public transit innovation. Since the mid-70s, our transit system has stalled, with only small additions to our LRT in recent years, before the Valley Line investment. It might be because of sprawl, lack of investment, or poor planning many years ago, but so many people have come to rely on their cars that making a significant investment in transit can prove to be a difficult political proposition, especially in a province like Alberta, where there are more cars registered than people who live here, and it's not even close. And in a city like Edmonton, where 82% of people will commute to work by car, truck, or van, and only 12% of people will be taking public transit to work, it can seem like a waste of resources. But is it? Let's explore the humble public transit system and shine some light on why it's the thread that binds so much of our city together. To start, I spoke to Dr. Emily Oh, Grise.
1: uh, Emily Griset. I am an assistant professor at University of Alberta in the School of Urban and Regional Planning. And my area of research focuses on public transit planning broadly, anything from customer' satisfaction and loyalty, a bit of you know marketing and incentive building and uh, transit operations, you know how we can move buses and trains more efficiently and achieve greater operational um, efficiency as well.
3: Most people are at least familiar with systems like the tube and double decker buses in London or the Skytrain and TransLink buses in Vancouver but What makes for a great transit system?
1: In my teaching, we've been talking a lot about is, you know, what is the best transit system? And it's hard to get a blanketed answer to that, and largely because people are inherently so different and it has such different needs and preferences, and public transit is trying to cater to all those different needs and preferences with such limited budgets. And so what makes transit service good is that it can efficiently you know connect the transportation and the land use system together and that it can bring people to opportunities that they wish to reach right transportation is a means to an end we want to get where we need to go and what makes transit you know attractive and viable is that it's competitive in travel time to driving and that we can actually get where we need to go in a realistic amount of time and you know what makes it And what makes it work for certain people is going to be different based on different needs. So with that, I mean, for one, one example is having it to be universally accessible, right, so that everyone can comfortably access or egress from stations. So, you know, basically ensuring that it works people with disabilities, as well as, same mothers with strollers. Uh, how can uh, somebody get down uh, four flights of stairs without an elevator if you have, a, say, a newborn or two children with you? Uh, it's very challenging. And, you know, one thing that we need to be really conscious of is our operations of transit. With the pandemic, it has really you know, put into question what's going to happen with operating budgets as ridership has declined. But an element of a really good transit service is that the bus will be coming frequently and that it's there when you need it.
3: One of the secrets to a great transit system is not really a secret at all. It's frequency. How often does a bus or train show up? Put another way, how long do I need to wait at the closest stop or station? Essentially, Good transit offers a viable alternative to driving by being convenient and effective and getting people to where they need to go without disturbing or burdening their daily schedules.
1: Ensuring that services, say, at a minimum of 15 minute frequency is, is an element of a good service, but that might mean there's less coverage. So people have to walk farther to transit. And that's sort of the approach that's being taken in Edmonton's new bus network redesign is that uh, areas that are not conducive to transit service, such as some of the newer neighborhoods where the street grid is poorly connected, creates challenges for delivering service. And we're seeing instead of you know operating service with low ridership in these neighborhoods, they're piloting on-demand service to kind of bridge the two forms of service and sort of use that technology of on-demand service that, I mean, it's, it's not a new, uh, nothing is new about the on-demand service. Rather, we have the technology to make a good service. Um, so really sort of capitalizing on the technology we have to make transit better.
3: Many people live in places where transit simply isn't an option for them at this point in time. Maybe their community is underserved. This is often the case in the suburbs. As the city begins to sprawl and neighborhoods are designed with winding roads, it becomes increasingly difficult to provide cost-effective services. The result is frequently underwhelming transit options that mean getting to work in time is simply unfeasible without waking up at an ungodly hour. This makes it really easy for residents to write off transit as a waste of taxpayers' hard-earned dollars. If a person's experience is that the bus only comes to their neighborhood every 45 minutes, they may be less likely to support expanding and improving transit services at all. For city residents living in the far-flung neighborhoods of this city, driving is the only feasible option to get around. So why should people who don't plan to ever use transit want their city to invest in it?
1: Generally, people want to see transit because, uh, especially, say, new LRT system, because maybe it'll benefit their property values. But will you use it? Mm, That's another question. And why are people not using it? Well, driving is just so convenient. You know, we've made driving just so attractive to everybody, essentially, everybody who can afford a car. I mean, of course, that's an important condition to say, but... You know, just the convenience of being in a car, the convenience of that door-to-door trip. We've made parking almost free, almost all the time. And, you know, we see parking at homes highly subsidized. Um, So people are not paying for what driving really costs. Whereas transit is kind of suffering in that way. And it's trying to compete against... Um, what is such a convenient mode of transportation? How long is it going to take for me to get there by transit, um, and how long is it going to take for me to drive? Well, for one of the most selfish reasons to start is if you make transit good and attractive, but you're a, you know a committed driver, that will get other people off the road <laughs> and make more <laughs> space for you. Um, so from that you know most selfish thinking that that is one, but we know that. Public transit is, you know, an indicator of a healthy, lively, happy city.
3: Better transit actually enables drivers to get a little bit closer to that promise made by automobile companies in their car commercials. Better transit means less congestion on roadways, calmer rush hours, fewer potholes, fender benders, and rock chips. These are just a few of the benefits that good transit offers drivers. And for transit users, the benefits go beyond convenience. They are essential for many people to access their community and maintain happy, healthy lifestyles. And perhaps most importantly, good transit means that everyone has an essential service when their lives change and they cannot, for various reasons, drive anymore.
1: But why should people care about transit and support it financially and be willing to, to invest in it further? I mean, it is hard. It's hard to see you know, that sort of element. If you're not gonna use it, what does it do for me? But if you think about, you know, what transit does for cities, there are so many different advantages. But I think, you know, the biggest premise of that is, you know, that the sustainability of cities and the the economic benefits that transit brings. And, you know, you might not use it one day or you might not intend to use it, but that could very well change if you start to realize that transit is actually a useful and efficient means of getting around. And you also might, you know, be able to drive and comfortable at that. But you never know what's going to happen in, say, five years, right? You might not be able to drive anymore or you can no longer afford a car. And so the importance of transit for getting around is then really understood in that way. We've seen with the pandemic that transit just keeps cities moving. You know, some of the most essential workers during the pandemic were using transit throughout to get around, to get to those essential service jobs. And that's you know that just shows that we do need transit even though ridership is low we can't just cut the service you know if edmonton can have a fleet of electric buses almost any city in the world can. We are you know the 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 river valley the the cold temperatures the snow i mean if we can do it anyone can do it and i thought that was just very impressive uh of the, the ets in the city of edmonton but of course economically efficient right we can move so many more people with transit so many more so much more efficiently. If we think about the cost of the maintenance of roads and building new highways, it is billions of dollars that we're allocating towards it. And then when we look at the cost or the amount of money we're, we're allocating towards transit and say biking and walking, it, it, it can very much reveal where the priorities of government lies you know, looking at financial commitments and where money is being allocated shows the real priorities of government. So, you know, the LRT development that we're seeing, that, that is showing a really uh, serious commitment towards more, you know, sustainable travel. But if we're seeing cuts in bus operations and the amount of sort of a the city spending on transit operations, then we're also seeing that, you know, the city isn't as committed towards providing better transit as we would like.
3: Having only moved to Edmonton in the last couple of years, I was interested in what Dr. Grise had noticed more broadly about Edmonton's transit system.
1: And I think Edmonton is pretty uniquely challenged in how it provides transit. I mean, Edmonton is actually a sort of a leader in innovation coming from, you know, being the first, you know, modern light rail system in North America in the 70s. And, you know, that was kind of a a bold decision to, for ETS to make, but they've you know, kind of slowed down in that uh, that progress for lots of years. But now we're seeing such a uh, an interest in building LRT and BRT now, which is great. Um, and I think the city has realized that uh, so much investment is is needed to really bring Edmonton to towards being a global city, uh, a city that is you know competitive and sustainable and vibrant. Um, And moving away from a city where there is, you know, parking lots in the downtown core to one that, you know, again, is more walkable, has a greater, you know, vibrancy um, and a place that you kind of want to be more. Whereas in the parking lot uh, feeling of downtown, it's not exactly a place that is exciting.
3: In our last episode, we learned that the push for more and more parking downtown began in the 1950s. The result of this parking push is evident as you look north from the upper floors of pretty much any downtown high rise. The view reveals a brown patchwork of gravel parking lots. These spaces are prime real estate for what could be used for so many other things. But the argument for fewer parking lots and a transit-minded focus goes beyond aesthetics. Transit is good for our physical health. Here's a fun experiment. There's a good chance you have a step countering app on one of your personal devices. Turn it on and track your steps for one week when you use your personal vehicle as your primary mode of transportation. Then, do the same another week when you use transit, then compare the results.
1: It's been shown in research, and it's sort of intuitive, that taking transit induces physical activity. You can never take transit without being a pedestrian. So uh, there's, of course, walking and physical activity associated with taking transit. And we know that driving is stressful, and stress has negative implications for our, our health. Whereas taking transit can offer opportunities to do other things. You sort of relax, zone out, or read or do work while taking transit. And generally congestion and seeing cars and congestion is also bad for our mental health. Whereas when we see light rail vehicles and other transit infrastructure on our street, that generally has a better implication. And, you know, some people would also say that when you take transit, it reduces feelings of loneliness because you're, you know, in in proximity to other people, there's strangers or people you see. But, you know, from that physical perspective, I think that the physical activity associated with transit is probably understated in lots of planning.
3: Transit and pedestrianism are also key factors in boosting the local economy. We've all been inconvenienced by the incredible amount of LRT construction that has been happening over the past few years, whether trying to get around downtown near city center mall or on a commute to Millwoods. But this inconvenience to our car commutes is a signal that there is a boon of construction jobs at work, and that infrastructure paves the way to long-term jobs for maintenance and operations of public transit. Local businesses also benefit greatly from this pedestrian traffic that has easy access to shops across the city. It keeps money moving.
1: When we're investing in new capital infrastructure, it really produces a significant amount of jobs. And, you know, as we're in a pandemic right now, all we need to do is keep money moving. And so building more transit has a really positive implication for uh, the local economy in the sense of job building. And, you know, in Edmonton, as we're seeing, or Alberta more broadly, as we're seeing a transition away from Oil and gas. There's a lot of workers that um, can now sort of be positioned towards building of new infrastructures around, you know, transit and other sort of green energy projects. Um, and it's also really important for the local economy because it keeps people moving. It means that people can get to their jobs. People can work, you know, in diverse locations across the city. And it generally. Having transit connect to land use means that more people can access different opportunities. And of course, having more people reach you if you're a business that has positive effects um, on your sales, your business in general.
3: If we continue looking at transit through the lens of the economy, we can't forget that car culture leaves many people unable to contribute to their local economies to their fullest potential. Whether that's because personal vehicles are too expensive to buy and maintain for many people or the fact that many elderly and differently abled residents are not allowed to drive?
1: Well, I'd say most importantly, transit is considered um, an essential service for the sole reason that people need to get around. And, you know, walking and cycling are both great means of transportation, but their reach is, of course, limited. So public transit is, is essential for ensuring that Everyone, despite income and ability, has the means to get where they need to go in an affordable way. Transit is just an essential service to get people around. And we know that from the mobility and the ability to get to where we want to go is so important for our health both physical and mental health, but also from from the economy side is, you know, we need to get to work and we shouldn't have to buy a car. I mean, the the costs of owning and operating a car are very high. And yet we often sort of just accept those costs due to the convenience offered by our car. So providing good public transit just gives people excellent options for getting around and mobility is just so important for our quality of life.
3: So how do we ensure that everyone in Edmonton can get around the city and participate to their fullest potential? In the second half of this episode, I speak with...
4: My name is Danica McConnell, and I am an organizer and agitator of sorts within Free Transit Edmonton.
3: Uh, my name
5: Carter Gorzica, and I as well am an organizer with uh, Free Transit
3: Edmonton. To look at transit through the lens of human rights. While the name seems self-explanatory, Free Transit Edmonton is about far more than simply eliminating transit fares. Created in 2019 as an offshoot project of Climate Justice Edmonton, their goal is to create a more resilient, connected, and equitable city. One that upholds social, economic, and climate justice while it enshrines mobility as a universal right by making public transportation reliable, efficient, and accessible. Their hope is to help Edmontonians understand what transit can do for the people of the city.
4: Free Transit Edmonton is a collective of organizers within climate justice Edmonton working for a more just and equitable city. We came together looking for something tangible within our city, thinking about what connects us all on a justice standpoint, what is going to bring social equity, what is going to help curve the climate emergency that we're facing right now. And transit hits on all of this from social issues, racial issues, climate, everything intersects with public transit. And it's something that we all engage with, whether we ride it or not.
3: Like the network itself, transit touches many parts of the city. From sustainability and social equity to race and class issues, public transit can have a far greater impact on a city than most people understand. Free Transit Edmonton grew from that reality asking questions of what they could do as organizers to make this city a better place.
5: Like, what are some physical wins that we can do in our city that will benefit the Edmonton community that, like, directly speak to this kind of idea of a more equitable future that we always talk about? Going with that, we kind of started to, yeah, brainstorm ways that we could really physically embody a lot of the, yeah, progressive equity-based ideas that we have been talking about in a way that, yeah, was super visible in our municipality.
4: Edmonton specifically is a car-obsessed city that is built for cars in a lot of ways. And when we think of public transit, we instantly think it's not as good as some other world class cities. It isn't something that is convenient and often is seen as something that either students use or folks who aren't as fortunate on a financial basis. And it's a classist design. You you see it in cities across Western Canada where they're putting commuters at the front lines of all of the planning without thinking about the folks that need to go to a second job or run errands or make sure their kids are getting to school and the list goes on and on. It's not often that we talk about public transit being something for pleasure where you're going to go meet friends, you wanna go explore a different side of the city, feel like the entire city is your own, not just your own neighborhood. It's too often and really heartbreakingly so that people do think that it's folks who are on a certain lower economic scale
3: Remember all those movie scenes that use transit to signify their character's positions on the lower rungs of the societal ladder? Transit in Edmonton has a complicated history and one that has been overshadowed by the car time and time again.
5: It's obvious while you're taking the bus, how much the city is built for vehicles, like transit stops, let's say out on the east end when you're standing, there isn't even a sidewalk, but you get dropped off at this stop and you're kind of just next to like six lanes of vehicles standing in the snow waiting for your other bus or having to jump across the road or jaywalk or something in order to get to a sidewalk. Our city's very clearly been built with transit as an afterthought, or at least when transit maybe was more central to the city, we built over top of that. And now we're kind of looking back, trying to figure it out. But it's an isolating experience as a commuter taking the bus here in Edmonton. It definitely doesn't feel exciting.
4: You, You feel community when you're in a place that allows for a transit system to go everywhere you'd like at a reasonable rate that has everything from families to the elderly to folks just wanting to go hang out with pals. You want to see every kind of face in place, and that's definitely not the reflection we get here in Edmonton.
3: Danica and Carter felt that a comprehensive system of transit is only one piece of a more equitable community-based system, along with transit being affordable or completely free. If you're unfamiliar with the feeling of taking the bus at Edmonton, think about it like this. Imagine your car is tucked away in a garage that has a door that only opens for 10 seconds every 15 to 25 minutes and only every hour or so after 6 p.m. Suddenly, you're planning your whole life around that small sliver of time when you have some access to your city.
4: So a great transit system is one that allows people to use it intersecting with Every other way that they move, it allows you to walk up to your bus stop, be able to hop on in the quickest bus as it's coming in very convenient intervals that you can time out logically. That's not every 30 minutes, every 15 minutes like we have here in Edmonton. It's also one that allows you to get to major centers where you have your key services And that allows you to, if you're living kind of on the, not the outskirts of the city, but more so in some isolated neighborhoods, perhaps you're a senior or someone who has other mobility barriers, you can get to where you need to go. The great transit system is one that allows for all different folks to come together. It's not just commuters, it's folks of All stripes being able to ride get where they need to go without questioning and of course um a great transit system is one that's affordable and one that keeps up with the times right now you need three dollars and fifty cents change in your pocket or you have to be able to expend countless dollars at the beginning of a month a lot of people don't have that type of luxury to be able to buy 10 tickets at a time a lot of people are living day by day when it comes to their finances so A great Mm -hmm. transit system allows for people to just hop on and hop off in a way that benefits them.
3: Beyond a great system of public mobility, one of the main goals for Free Transit Edmonton is to, yes, make transit free. The impetus for this, as Danica mentioned, is making it affordable for everyone. But it goes beyond that. It might not seem like much, but one trip on the bus costs $3.50. If you buy a pack of 10 tickets for $27, that cost per trip drops to $2.70. And a monthly pass for unlimited trips will set most people back $97. The problem is, many people don't have $97 at one time, so they end up paying $3.50 every time they ride transit. That can add up pretty quickly. Now, there is a low-income rider option at $34, but it requires some work and a fixed address, which lets some people fall through the cracks. Ultimately, if someone can't afford a pass, they could be paying far more than the cost of that pass every month when it's all said and done. Then, there's the issues of fines.
4: One of the other things we find just scrambles us that we really can't find any logic in is how when you park in downtown Edmonton, you pay a few dollars to park your individual vehicle. And if you are caught not paying that, you only face a fine of about $50, perhaps. Whereas if you're riding the train, you don't pay $3.50, you're looking at a $250 fine. And if you can't afford $3.50, Who thinks you're gonna be able to pay a $250 fine? And if you don't pay that fine, it just snowballs. Then suddenly there are warrants and there are a lot more barriers. It's just makes no sense.
3: It's been found that a disproportionate amount of those tickets, nearly 50%, are going to people of color and indigenous riders. And that monitoring for fare evasions takes up to 70% of a transit officer's time, which could be freed up if transit was free for everyone. But let's take a minute to discuss fare evasion a little further. In August of 2019, the city released the ETS Revenue Management Audit. The report highlighted several shortcomings of ETS's revenue management processes. One of the larger issues was how ETS tracks and reports fare evasion. According to the report, ETS measures fare evasion on the LRT system on a monthly basis through what they call fare evasion checks. This is when transit peace officers physically check passengers for tickets and passes. The fare evasion rate is determined based on the number of fare evaders identified during these checks as a percentage of total riders checked at select LRT stations. Based on the fare inspection data from 2014 to 2018, the fare evasion rate for LRT is between 2.15% and 2.73%. The city does not track fare evasion on buses, and the auditor's report states that, quote, ETS does not currently have an effective system to manage fare evasion, unquote. This is problematic for several reasons, but perhaps most importantly, because ETS calculates ridership numbers based on the number of passengers who pay instead of the number of passengers who ride. Fair evasion reduces the calculated ridership numbers reported by ETS, meaning the city does not know how many people actually use public transit. ETS's yearly ridership numbers have shown a slight decrease between 2014 and 2018. However, according to the report, it is possible that ridership only appears to be declining if fare evasion is worsening. ETS currently does not have an effective way of measuring the actual number of passengers riding buses and LRT. ETS has installed automatic passenger count technology on buses. However, roughly 40% of the data is determined to include errors and thrown out. Thus, this system currently does not provide reliable data. This makes it difficult to create informed policy to guide transit development and operation, policy that is needed to properly serve its residents. Free Transit Edmonton has a solution to this. It's right in their name.
5: If we're making transit free, we are making the lives of some of uh, our city's most vulnerable populations who are actively getting the most tickets, um, who are actively facing police violence constantly because of these interactions that we're forcing to happen by enforcing fares on our transit. So even if you yourself aren't taking transit more often, by kind of changing the way we look at transit and focusing on the values and the the social benefits that we'll see, you can really be proud of that, I guess, and proud that you are making change even if you're staying in your car.
3: According to the Amalgamated Transit Union, 30% of the violence a driver faces is due to fare disputes. If transit providers were to remove those fares, these disputes are no longer an issue, and that's no longer something that a bus driver needs to be thinking about while they also try to move people around the city. And when we look at public transit during the COVID-19 pandemic, the city lifted transit fares and enacted backdoor access to the buses as a safety measure. And again, as a way to support the local economy by continuing to move its residents safely.
4: You don't have to have this huge line of folks coming in, packing up into the front door. You can have folks just coming in and out there's you know no need for that engagement when it comes to can you actually afford to be here it allows the drivers to just to do their job to get people from point a to point b The second piece to this is the folks actually utilizing the transit folks that have to come from the north, south, east, west to get to downtown or wherever they need to go, allowing for them to not have to consider, oh my goodness, am I going to get up on time to get to my bus? It's 350 there. It's 350 back. There's all of these other intricacies about how we can get folks thriving economically because they no longer have to fear the added expense of being mobile, because mobility in one city is a human right. And also the fear of being late, if they have a poor route, and it's not getting them where they need to go on time, and then that has trickle effects, then suddenly, maybe you don't have the same job performance, you're not able to get there at the same time as some of your coworkers to seek the same opportunities if they're in an individual vehicle. And the misconception that comes forward is that free transit doesn't mean good transit. Those aren't exclusive from one another. We can have fair, free, and good
3: transit. Danica, Carter, and all of Free Transit Edmonton speak of mobility as a human right. The ability to have access to your own city in a reasonable amount of time and for anyone, regardless of their level of income. But it goes beyond just access. Good transit creates not just connections to our city, but to each other.
4: One thing that really strikes me is often cities talk about urban isolation and we can talk about running errands, we can talk about getting to our jobs, but what about just livability in one city, being able to explore it for what it's worth, being able to, visit festivals, to go see a friend, go see a new local coffee shop, it's allowing people to not be stuck inside their homes, forced to just be focusing on getting to work, doing the essentials. It strikes me as strange when people think that just because someone doesn't make as much or doesn't have an independent vehicle, that they somehow deserve lesser in the way that they experience their communities. And that's when we talk about mobility being a human right, that it's not just for the jobs, it's not just for the grocery store, it's being able to thrive and have joy in your city and pride in your city by being able to call different areas your communities. It's not meant to be just the block that you live on.
5: I think when we're talking about transit as a human right, we kind of have to look at what else we consider also to be rights of people in the city. So the right of access to healthcare, the right of access to food. And although we could talk for a very long time about how maybe people, these, are, these rights aren't being met by the city or by the, our other forms of government, we consider those things kind of uh, baseline quality of life things. As current, things currently stand with being a car-centric city that isn't built for biking, that isn't built for walking and has infrequent transit, people do not have access to those things that we consider their rights or things that they deserve to have a good quality of life.
3: A good quality of life also often involves a job. And the truth of the matter is, unless you plan on traveling to one central place during normal business hours, getting to work can be tough by bus. Now. Imagine getting to your second job before having to head home at midnight. The hurdles just keep piling up for people who can't afford a car and rely on public transit to exist. During times like the COVID-19 pandemic, many people were thrown into financial uncertainty. This meant considering whether a personal vehicle was still even affordable. When one's employment is thrown into question, transportation can become a very stressful factor in how one can get back on their feet, so to speak.
4: It's also Being able to succeed and not feel like you are lesser because you don't have a vehicle. There are countless jobs across the city that ask you in an interview, do you have access to an independent vehicle? And you have to question, why is that important? Unless perhaps I'm, you know, helping a delivery service or it is a car share for the sake of us talking about Uber. There's a lot of boundaries that we don't need that are created by not having an independent vehicle and that should never be the case. There should never be a reason that you can't get to the services needed as Carter said that are your right or you can't advance in your job or be part of a collective simply because you don't have a vehicle. That right there is a mentality shift I think a lot of folks have to reconcile with in order to understand why this movement is so important. When you talk to a lot of folks who do give up their cars and aren't paying insurance, don't have payments, have hundreds of dollars left over to invest in other areas of betterment in their lives, the same translates into transit. Folks are still investing that on the user fees. We're already paying for it as a society 70 60 to 70 percent of it why not just grab the remaining 40 and help one another so we can have those meaningful investments and have those very real considerations of wow what could i be doing with upwards of a hundred dollars every month left in my pocket our ultimate hope with free transit edmonton is of course free transit and to see the removal of user fees for folks that are using it, and also the trickle effects for lower congestion, you name it. Those are all wins. But at the same time, we're really excited for our neighbors and our centers of influence and the folks that are governing governing our cities to see – what kind of other problems exist within the way that we plan our cities. You hear a lot of people saying, oh, if you make the fares disappear, you're going to have non-destination riders just trying to stay warm and hopping on board. Well, excuse me. Doesn't this also trigger for you that maybe we're not investing in our communities in the right way where they don't have a place to go? Or when we talk about the cleanliness of the bus, oh, well, maybe we should be investing more in the safety of those buses and the riders that are in them all of the time. So if anything, looking at these transit systems, when we propose this idea, something that's very realistic and people have nothing but red flags, it's just showing other fault points that we have within our city And this isn't something that's that's new. We we know that there are problems to fix and we are glad that this conversation is talking about some of the other problems that we have. And Mm. we're very excited to be at the helm with chatting about them and bringing folks into the fold.
3: Ultimately, the transit system is just one part of a larger network. Even if transit is frequent and if transit is affordable, people still need to have physical access to the stops and stations. On the next episode, we're going to explore the urban design of our public spaces, how we design our cities, and how those spaces make us feel. Thanks for listening to Trailheads. See you next time.
0: Thanks very much to Emily Griset, Danica McConnell, and Carter Groza for sharing their time with us. And many thanks to Julian Fade for bringing us this story.
2: Stay tuned for part five of Trailheads later this month.
0: While you're waiting for the next episode to drop, head on over to ecfoundation.org to see what's been happening at the Edmonton Community Foundation.
2: Also be sure to check our show notes for links to a ton of research material we've used for this episode.
0: Well, friends, that brings us to the end of the show.
2: And thanks so much for sharing your time with us.
0: We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, be sure to share it with your friends and family. And don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Those reviews help new listeners find us.
2: And you can visit us on Facebook, where you can share your thoughts and see some pictures from the podcast.
0: Thanks again for tuning in. We've been your hosts, Andrew Paul.
2: And Elizabeth Bonkin.
0: Until next time.
2: The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation.
0: And edited by Lisa Pruden.
2: You can visit our website at wellendowedpodcast.com.
0: Subscribe to us on iTunes.
2: And follow us on Twitter at The ECF.
0: Our theme music was created by Octavo Productions.
2: Check them out at octavoproductions.com.
0: And as always, don't forget to visit Edmonton Community Foundation at ecfoundation.org. Well endowed.